Hello, I'm Lawrence Woodruff, and I have completed one year of podcasting. And I'm Michael Ralph, and I too have completed one year of podcasting. Professional development should not be restricted to the workday. This is our personal yet professional dialogue. So grab a seat, grab a glass, and join us. We will discuss that we might improve. Today, we are drinking some of our favorite beers from this season. Yeah, finding some of our favorite beers was somewhat of an odyssey. Well, let me first start you off because we our first couple of episodes were with our original favorite beers. And so 1554 is, was, and continues to be very close to my heart. And so that was that is not what I'm drinking because I already know that I love 1554. I would choose the Dodge City Brewery Big Chew because that was an excellent beer, but that's not in the production run right now. And it doesn't exist anywhere on the face of this planet. So I couldn't have that one either. So instead, I have checked it down further to Ballast Point Victory at Sea, but that is a seasonal and is also not available where we are right now. And so I am drinking the Vanilla Porter from Breckenridge Brewery. I had a similar uh, experience. My favorite all time is Dragon's Milk Stout, but I knew that before this podcast, and we want to highlight some new things that we've learned. So uh, I wanted to drink the barrel-aged Yeti Imperial Stout uh, that we tried early. That is also a winter seasonal. So uh, I then am downgrading, uh, though it's a small step down, to the standard Yeti Imperial, which was enjoyed by our guest, Camden Hanslick Burton, who I believe was our guest for episode seven. Uh, right? Eight, 008. And so uh, we're going to get some reappearances from some of our past guests as they check in with us and tell us how things are going. So uh, Camden, you're first up, and I see that you've already joined us. How you doing, Camden? Good. How are you guys? Great. I'm drinking your beer, or the Thank beer God. that you drank during your episode, this one. Well, tried. To, oh, wait. You are actually drinking the real one I had. Yeah, I'm <laughs> drinking the beer you had, yeah. I love that. So how you doing, man? It's been a, you, 008 was quite a while ago. So what have you been yeah. up to in the intervening almost a year, right? Yeah. Um, actually, like in that entire year, I've been working that finally some on some work that came to fruition last week on a course through my uh, teaching fellowship that I'm part of, the Knowles Teacher Initiative. I developed a course uh, with a couple other teachers about complex instruction which I got a, a handful of sass from Michael about. Uh, um, yeah, I'm very yeah. funny on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, basically. But I got to recognize you totally shut me down with your response because you gave like this crisp and professional and insightful answer that was like, yep, he wins. Yeah, it was actually really funny because um, I worked on it with, uh, a couple other people, but me and another woman were facilitating it last week. So when you uh, put that on Twitter, I was actually not facilitating that moment. I was in the background. And right as you asked that, that slide was like on the screen. I was like, oh, this is too good. I'm going to take a picture of that and just send that right back. Boof. Landed uh, yeah. perfectly. Uh, so did you, so this is the, the Knowles Teaching Association, Knowles Teaching Fellowship. and Initi Initiative. They've gone through a name change, so that's probably why it also is, it's got an amalgam of things now. Yeah. So what's that? So I uh, I went ahead and queued up a link to the to the class already for any listeners who want to learn more about it. But what's uh, what kinds of things were you doing in the workshop? 
So complex instruction, which maybe I'm not in love with that name, but it's like a, it's a thing that's heavily in like the math instruction world. So we're sort of just leaning on uh, words that are already out there, but we were thinking about it through a lens of science classrooms. Um, basically, it's a way to look at equity in the classroom, specifically thinking about who is engaged in participating in class, and therefore, like, by connection, who is actually doing the learning in science classrooms. Um, so we really, like, drill in first about um, what help, like, what will make students participate in classes, and how do we increase um, students' opportunities to participate, sort of like, how many type, how many times can we lead the horse to water kind of thing. Um, and so just increasing our odds of them actually drinking from said water. So we looked at like status in the classroom, like how do students perceive themselves? How do they perceive others? Thinking about mainly, we think about social status because we all know that's a big thing for students, but we also think about academic status. What types of smart are we valuing in classrooms? So, you know, traditionally we might think of, I mean, we may not want this, but what students perceive as smart is like being right, um, being quick to recall information. And I mean, as I'm sure we would agree in like next generation science standards and the ways that we want kids to be engaging with in science and or adults, just humans engaging in science is uh, more dynamic than that. And involves more maybe long-term and slower processes of scientific thinking and so if that's what we want students to be engaging in then that's we need to like take a step back and think about am i actually valuing that kind of like thinking and work in my classroom and if i'm still sort of valuing like students you know raising their hand and being first to be correct then maybe like i'm not um, being explicit about who is being smart in my classroom and so a lot of it's like having teachers think about that and then also think about structures that like help get at, you know, like raising different types of intellectual status in our classes. So thinking about how we design group work um, to involve more students to have um, them engage in multiple ways and not maybe as like in just the traditional like you have a recorder, you have a reporter and you just chunk up work and everybody does a piece of it kind of thing but actually like group work that actually involves like multiple people's brains in order to be successful. Uh, so if, if equity is the focus, that's kind of in line with your, with your topic when you, when you appeared about a year ago on 008, uh, looking at uh, how different demographics of students were affected by dual enrollment programs. And I happen yeah. to know that one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to get to uh, have a chat with uh, one of the college board uh, leadership folks who are in charge of some of the policy changes that they're making to try and increase access. Uh, so is there cool. anything that uh, you want us to be sure and bring up or ask about when we when we talk with um, this person next month? Yeah, I, I mean, I would be really curious. Like, I, I know AP and College Board has sort of adopted the vision of, like, AP for all. And I wonder what they think about, I mean, I would say a majority of schools really kind of holding AP and, like, their teachers are really the gatekeeper to who's like allowed to take AP classes. Is that the vision they really have or do they actually have a vision where um, like a truly heterogeneous environment where anyone who wants to take it, there's no barrier to that. They can enroll in it or, or you know, like schools that use like the AVID program where they're actually like, you know, it's like part of the requirements to actually take an AP class for students who may like 
not have done it on their own um, initiation, but are actually like required through some of that, specifically for some students coming from um, backgrounds where they may not be um, exposed to AP and like college level courses, like our first generation college students in a lot of um, contexts. So I'd be curious like what they think about that, if that's something they're imagining they're gonna start pushing for schools to do. So I know for a fact when I first made contact with her, she went back and she listened to your episode and that was somewhat prompted like, yeah, let's talk about this because we're addressing some of these questions. So uh, I cool. think we're going to get some pretty satisfying on topic discussion here next month. Nice. So, uh, so kudos to what you have started, Camden, because that ball is still rolling. I'll be listening. That's awesome to hear. I'm excited to hear what they say. How are you guys? How has your years been going? How's the summer been? Big fan of the summer. Like it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Are you, Lawrence, are you doing all the same stuff next year? I am teaching general biology, yes. Uh, additional things on my plate is I am a uh, uh, the collegial mentor to a first-year teacher now who is also t who's uh. teaching general biology and um, student naturalist. She is a graduate of the You Can Teach program, and uh, I am her, uh, you know, social liaison to break her into school culture as well as solving all of her logistical problems so that she doesn't have to is my primary role of course i'm we're gonna wade through the mud of curriculum and classroom management as well so i'm cool. really really pumped about my future uh opportunities to learn uh, uh from this posi particular position it's an opportunity I for me to really take a fresh look at my curricular choices for my general biology kids and my procedural choices for my general biology kids because I now have to help someone fresh in the system achieve their vision. That's really what I want to do is I, I want to find out yeah. what she wants to do in the classroom. And then even if I don't necessarily think that that's a wise idea or a good idea, I'm going to say, let me do everything I can to help you make that as good for you as it can possibly be. And then I'm going to, so the only way for me to really commit to that is if I'm also gonna try those things in my classroom. So I'm using this as an opportunity to uh, unhinge myself from what I have done and force myself to try new things uh, from this this person's perspective. Cool, man. Uh, well, uh, like I said, I, I appreciate you taking the time out for just a quick hitter. Uh, I know you got plenty of other things to be doing with your time, so uh, we appreciate your your willingness to come back and play again. No problem. Say hi to everyone else you have on. I will pass that along. We're gonna, we got a little bit of a parade going on this afternoon, so I'm, I'm excited cool. about it. Intent matters. So what's a, so looking back on some of the conversations that we've had over the course of the past year, so we got uh, I don't know a few things worth thinking about. We're gonna have some sort of uh, like quasi structured reflection here. So uh, you you prepared questions and I have prepared answers to those <laughs> questions. So um, if we want to hit the first question, what was an episode or segment that surprised you with how it impacted your teaching? And I was reflecting on last year, um, what changed as a response to an episode? And uh, it was actually the his his article. Uh, the, Mr. Mr. Hanslick Burton, how much of a running start do dual enrollment programs provide students? We've kind of hinted at this already. Uh, in the past, when a student wants to drop my class, I've always 
given them the, you know, growth requires struggle, stick to it, stay in it, we can work through it, there are things we can do. But before I gave them the old, you know, let's make this happen speech, I asked them, what is your intent? Because as uh, Camden so uh, eloquently said on his sign out on his episode, intent matters. And so if this student sees themselves as a college student, well, I want to be a nurse practitioner, I'm going to have to take these classes in college this is in you know this is part of my future then i would give them the struggle well let's do this article uh, i mean discussion but if they were you know i was recommended because you're a good teacher or this is nice or i don't know like if if college wasn't part of their self-identified goal then i did not fight to keep them in the class and that so I, I had students drop and I didn't like the the counselor said, is there anything we can do to keep them in here? And I'm like, I don't think we should keep them in here because this is not part of their identity. This is not part of their intent. They don't expect to invest themselves in this. So we shouldn't push them to stay. And that that's a different behavior from mine than uh, than I had before I read these articles. Uh, so did that come up? A handful of times. I mean, we're we talking multiple students. Well, uh, you know, I've got a, about 120 students in the course, so maybe three or four want to drop each year, and uh, two of them I I con- convinced to stay, and two of them I did not fight for, yeah. and they wanted out, and let's get they they're out. I did have a discussion with all of them. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was trying to rather than this turn into just a story dump, I'm trying to like engage with your story, and so I'm trying to like formulate a. I see. I'll answer questions all day. I know that you will, and I and I want that. I want that in my life. I'm not waiting to talk. I am listening. That's I'm about. I'm at about six months of that being my personal goal. That is the part of my sphere that I am polishing. I see. Yeah. Listen more closely. Listen more aggressively. Respond like. I I frequently find myself I have something to say quickly like I always have something I want to say and so to try and temper that because I have got to listen more especially with all of my changing roles I have to get better at listening and so um, forcing myself to formulate questions in response to your story is part of that process of listen Ralph you listen listen more shut up and listen that's a theme I think when you compare the first half of the season to the second half of the season, I think that you could markedly notice that in us. Because I remember in the early episodes, it was wait until you have something to say. And it was that way for both of us. There was, and, and so uh, sometimes the conversation seemed to be a little disjointed. Um, but I think that was something that both of us have worked on during the course of the seasons. Uh, and I feel much better about my position now, and uh, like I will take notes, like, okay, this is something I want to talk about later, and this is something I want to talk about later. I'll mm-hmm. type them in here, and then uh, when I get that free time, I'll respond to them. But actually, you know, it's funny, because it dovetails with what we've just been reading the past couple episodes about responsive teaching and practices where the input of the student matters. Well, it turns out <laughs> the input of your interviewee or your co-host turns out matter in the yeah. in the shape of the, of the product. Yeah, a lot of this can shape, and that's actually my answer to this same question, is uh, 009 was really the first time we talked about curriculum structure uh, in that um, planning is essential and plans are useless. It was the first time we are talking about how you make choices for which topics you're, you're um, diving into with your students and in your curriculum, and it was the first time that phrase, premeditated coherence, because coherence had been a thing that had been important to me as a professional for uh, a couple of years already. I'd done projects where that was explicitly our goal. And I found that that definition was really a crystallizing moment for me 
of I don't like to plan to an explicit minute. I, I, I like to be a little bit more free-flowing. It comes from some of my improvisational background, but I never really put a pin in it as like that is a professional choice. And then reading that paper, premeditated coherence is something that is inferior and that and that uh, stunts and stifles student creativity and student sense-making really kind of set the table for that is not that needs to be a choice in how you approach preparation and really I think made me ready to hear and ready to receive some of the information in the future uh, sense making and schema construction papers that we read over the course of the last few months and so that kind of identification I have planned talking points they are not as good as listening to the conversation and following where it may lead uh, was really I think a turning point for me of this is real. This is something you need to do intentionally. Yeah. Make better mistakes. Oh, our next guest has arrived. So uh, Shannon Ralph from Zero Ten, if I remember correctly. Uh, welcome. You've just signed on. Hey. Thanks for having me again. It's it's a pleasure. So, uh, how are you? So, if we're catching up from zero ten, that was like that was just over half a year ago, and you have had a number of changes in your life since then. So, what are you up to these days? I have had some big changes. The primary one being I uh, left the high school in which I taught for seventeen years, and will be joining a new high school in Eastern Kansas in the fall. So, I will. Uh, officially be a newbie again, which is uh, both exciting and a little nerve-wracking, both. So that's the biggest change. I have uh, moved my uh, home base also from western Kansas to eastern Kansas. And um, thirdly, I'm working on beginning my study for my to prepare for writing my dissertation. So three big, big changes in my life. The move is a big change. I know that you were a, you were a, an important part of the fabric of uh, Dodge City High School for uh, your time there. And so that's a, what does that feel like saying goodbye to a place that you've really invested a lot of yourself into uh, over the course of the last couple of decades? You know, I knew it would be difficult, but my last day there was, I was just telling somebody this morning, it was a cry fest because I've developed so many bonds with the people there, and the the folks with whom I worked are very forward-thinking, and we've done a lot of work together um, to better our classrooms. And so it, I left a piece of my heart. I left a piece of my heart there. It was very difficult. And the, the feedback I've gotten even since then on social media are, you know, are lovely thoughts. You know, oh, we, we miss you already, and... Um, it won't be the same, and we're going to continue our work, and you know those kinds of things, which are very, which are very reaffirming. <clears throat> you know, the other piece is with I was thinking about this yesterday because I went to the I'm, I'm back in Dodge City for a few days before I begin my new job, and I was at the grocery store somewhere, and then ran to a couple of different places, and in each place I ran into one or two of my students, you know, and so it's like, hey, Miss Ralph, what are you doing? And it, I was thinking when you move to a new place and into a new school, that starts all over. And I know it will develop again. But I was th these are ties that are, are very hard to break, to be sure. 
But the but the move is is great. I know you have some personal reasons for moving. The the girls that we hear in the background of some of these episodes, I think, are benefiting <laughs> from some of your presence uh, even already. But uh, but also getting to getting to further your your research. I know your topic in zero ten was uh, talking about you know data literacy and implementation of educational research uh, in the classroom and really making it impactful for classroom teachers. So how's all that going? Yeah, I'm. I'm excited about that. I think a couple of things that I've been thinking about it. And the first is the my study I think will will probably be even more authentic because these students at this new school do not know me. They don't have any history with me. I don't have a reputation one way or another. And so I think the work that I do with them will be it's almost like a clean slate. I think it'll be more authentic um, for me. So I think it's good for my study in that I think I will get a better read on my pedagogy than perhaps students are like, oh, we know Miss Ralph. My, she had my brother or my sister, you know, with those preconceived ideas. So I think that will be good. I'm also really interested to to meet people in this new department and see where they are and have those conversations and and to be a part of a new team and perhaps to further um, implementing good classroom practice uh, that's exciting you know you're you're broadening your scope a little bit and so that provides a, a new slate for me uh, upon which to work and I'm excited about that getting research into the classroom that's been kind of a that's been a big focus for you uh in even in your full appearance mm-hmm. on zero ten uh i happen to know that the episode that will release in september the next one that we tape we're gonna be talking about a piece uh, that discusses uh some of maybe the blind spot associated with um an allegiance to education research and surely she levels some uh some honest and thoughtful critique of some of the pitfalls associated with uh, trying to follow the education research. So is, are there pros and cons? Are there some, maybe some drawbacks associated with some of these techniques maybe uh, are worth considering as we as we delve into that topic in the in the future? The, so the, are you asking if the downside to these strategies, are there downsides? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because, and I haven't read the article yet because it's not September yet, but the 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 crux of the article was things like um, direct instruction does some things better than retrieval practice. Their retrieval yeah. practice is yeah. general, like it does more things well, so I, I'm prepared to accept that retrieval practice is superior, but it's not it's not quite as clear cut as it sometimes gets communicated uh, when we're, you know, mm. it, she makes a comparison to medicine of, uh, yes, this drug will cure your the your affliction but it has side effects and so we need to we need to be aware of the benefits and the costs of any particular intervention um and that that sometimes gets overlooked from people who are calling for adherence to education research so is that something that you that you've thought about is something that maybe uh we should look for as we process that article at some point in the future actually it is and it's mostly through experience and that is time is always an issue and retrieval practice for example, um, can take more time than, say, direct instruction, just explicit direct instruction. So I think using time effectively is a consideration for an educator. I, I also think it's, it's interesting to me for as long as, 
as educational research has been around and in the world of psychology on learning that we have generations or at least or at least a generation of parents and maybe grandparents who didn't really utilize those strategies and so they are very foreign to them and and our current educational system and I I speak in broad generalities but think about our grading system you guys had an entire episode on grading and our grading system isn't really set up for that kind of learning and yet it's the framework we have to work um, within which we have to work and so um, to, for, for parents don't always understand this change in I, I, I go into a grade book and I see things that are not familiar to me and I'm frustrated because does that mean my student is not doing well? And so it's hard sometimes for them to understand the process. And so I think it's a, I think the level of communication between administration and parents and teachers and students needs to be strengthened for this to work because, or for it to work effectively. So I think some of the downsides are there is to remember, number one, there is no panacea. And I know that, but I don't think it should stop us from pursuing what's best educationally for our students. And to also realize that, that we need to keep the people with, with whom we work, our, our stakeholders, our parents and our administrators, up to speed on what we're doing so everybody can be moving in the same direction. I'll be interested to read your paper and listen to your September podcast because I think those are really healthy conversations to begin educators thinking about understanding there there's no perfect answer because there's no perfect kid there's no perfect student you know and so just to to remember that the things that we need to use and try need to be things that have been shown to be effective and those things that are no longer effective because we're not teaching in the 1940s or 50s or whatever but then, then it's time to look for something new. And so really it's just a, it's a mindset. I agree with you. It's just a mindset of pulling out the stuff that works and, and staying after it, you know. Yeah, so thank you for being willing to jump back on and, and chat with us again and update us on your progress. Well, it is my pleasure. And, you, and no, I will, listen, I will keep on listening, and I hope your listeners do the same. You guys are doing great work. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Know your students. Another prompt that you had me prepare, describe an area of struggle within your primary classroom practice, either in the room or between the bells. And uh, I don't really have a concise answer. To, well, I do have a concise answer to this, but expanding on it is going to take forever. Uh, and that is the issue that I struggled with most in this past school year was student mental health. Our school had a particularly difficult year. Three student deaths and one teacher death for a variety of reasons. In addition to that, I had students in my own classrooms that were struggling with mental health issues that were interfering with their growth and productivity in the classroom. And this can't be the first year that I, as a teacher, had students with mental health issues. This is my, I did, that was my sixth year of teaching. Can't be the first year where that's true. 
But it uh, it really is the first year that I was comfortable enough with my practice, my curricular choices, and my experiences that I were providing the students that my brain could go and assess and determine and observe these other things. So it's kind of like I walked into a whole new world this year with the ability to perceive something that I hadn't really had the RAM for in the past. And now I'm recognizing a problem that I don't have good answers for. And so it's like I've been thrown into yet a deeper, deeper part of the ocean. And I, I haven't read a lot of um, research on mental health issues and the classroom and interactions between teachers and students in the classroom. Uh, and so I don't have like, okay, I need to consider this and I need to do this and I need to do that. And so I did a lot more um, networking in my, in my building. I, I talked more to the school social worker. I talked more to the school psychologist and I, I got some consultations with them as far as to things that I could do in the classroom and, and outside of the classroom uh, to help me address that. I talked more with students one-on-one -on -one, uh, trying to find safe and responsive ways to approach them without uh, uh, causing problems. And I talked more to my administration about what leeways I could have when dealing with particular students um, in terms of not, and I say dealing with, but that's kind of a loaded word. I mean supporting specific students. Uh, and what's challenging is that approaching student mental health is not something that we, I, I say in my building, have a consensus on, but I don't think as teachers in the United States, uh, as a culture, we have a consensus on how to approach student mental health issues. I don't think there is one. Uh, and if there is one, I haven't read it. I haven't read that research. I haven't read that best practices pamphlet. So uh, it was a real challenge for me to work through a new problem, basically in the dark, feeling my way. Uh, and though I have finished the school year, I'm not satisfied. I am not satisfied with how things played out with the particular students that I'm thinking about. Uh, and though I am excited about August and starting again, part of me doesn't want to give up those prior issues that took a that took a toll on you like mm -hmm. that that's taxing for students and that's something that's difficult for the students to navigate but that was something that was a burden that you bore and i i saw that even just as somebody else in your life and i think that's important to recognize because sometimes teachers feel on an island when they're trying to navigate a problem like that with their students and many of us feel the same way that we're not trained we don't have the expertise in that particular area it's you know it's always relevant because we're we're you know we're so proximal as students for such a large portion of their lives and yet i don't i don't know the answers to those questions and that's a difficult burden to bear in and of itself you don't stay in this job through those first three years of fire unless you care about the impact you're having on, on people uh, and so those of us that are struggling with this, first of all, take heart that, yep, you are justified in struggling with this. It's worth struggling with this. And it is difficult to struggle with this. So it, it's okay to feel that. We're in this together. We have our third. Uh, we have our third guest uh, joining the joining the meeting now, and this was uh, our most recent full episode guest, uh, Mr. Drew Ising. Hi guys, how you doing? Uh, doing yeah. very well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for inviting me. 
Uh, thanks for coming back. That's uh, We appreciate the additional time to uh, give us a little um, uh, follow-up from... Uh, you were just a couple of months ago, so you were in uh, 016, but even just a couple of months have yielded uh, some uh, non-trivial changes in your life. What have you been up to? I started a job as a... Um, most time, 80, 90% of the time, uh, instructional technology coach for our district, preschool through 12th grade. Uh, so I get to teach one hour. Uh, it's AP Bio this year. And then uh, after that, I go from building to building and work with teachers to do cool stuff, hopefully. See, how, how super cool is that? Getting one classroom and making it AP is like, I, I fawn over that every time it comes up because that is just the most ace move anybody has ever made in negotiating schedules. I wanted I wanted kids. I wanted to work with students, and I, I told them that I would teach anything, um, middle school technology or elementary coding or whatever, and they're like, we do teach AP Bio still if you want. And I was like, yep, that sounds fine. <laughs> I'll go ahead and do that. Because uh, I, I, I don't want to lose that connection to students and best practices and uh, trying new things. And um, it, it just seemed like the best way to do it is to have my own sandbox. Uh, I actually really like this model as you have a somewhat, uh, you know, you have a support role and a teaching class. And it's something that I've thought about before that I wish that our... Uh, I wish this was standard for other roles. I, I, I wish administrators taught a class in addition to their responsibilities. I, I assert that our current administrators are building are overworked. They have too many responsibilities for the things that they have. I, I just I, I, I understand that that couldn't work unless we, we hired additional administrators, which may be outside of the budgetary uh, uh, options. You know, I don't know anything about that. But... In an ideal world, I think everybody in the school would teach something. I think everybody that was a, a licensed teacher would have a class because I think that that connection to the students and the student experience keeps us grounded. So what's a, so as a coach, and this is something that I know less about, um, despite the fact that I had coaches in my life. It's just I don't for whatever reason I remain pretty ignorant. Uh, so what uh, if you have a you have a like priority or a first thing that you're hoping to do with your teachers and your support role in the coming year? Uh, yeah, so I, I met with building administrators and talked to them about what they thought their needs were and uh, have a pretty thorough survey uh, scheduled to go out tonight uh, since the staff members' uh, emails should be uh, re reconnected tomorrow morning. They'll get that bright and early, hopefully, um, see what they want, you know, because it's kind of a service position. It doesn't do a whole lot of good if I just tell them these are the things we're going to do. Um, because each teacher is going to be different and each students are going to be different. So they're, they're going to need different things based on their population each year. We call uh, it responsive technology coaching. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's my job, uh, I think, to, uh, to be flexible in that and, and to really work with them on what, on what they actually need. Um, I, I went to a uh, training institute last week, so I now have five or six hours of coaching experience to draw from. Uh, <laughs> and most of that was just practicing different scenarios over the five days we were there. But I, I think lead, uh, listening is going to be really important. Um, not talking and not trying to impose what I've done or what I think is best, but actually listening to what the teacher really wants to do. Because as, as you guys know from working with students, if they don't buy in, 
they might do something out of compliance, uh, but it's not going to lead to a change and it's not going to lead to to any lasting benefit for that teacher or for their students. Uh, what are some of the things that you've been playing with recently or some things that you think might be uh, coming on the upswing? What's a, what's a technology thing you know about that maybe some others don't know about? Some things that I've been messing around with um, recently. Uh, I got one of those uh, Sphero. They have those Sphero minis now. They're about the size of a, a racquetball. Um, and you can you can program it to do different things. So we're going to use it in the elementary schools to talk about logic and kind of coding language yeah. basics. Yeah. Um, so if I tell it to do this, what will it do? And I want it to do this. And so we'll work with if-then statements and uh, magnitudes and stuff like that. Um, I have uh, to, to work with the kindergartners and the preschool classes. We have... Uh, what I think of as kind of a, a jump to conclusions, Matt, uh, to quote Office Space a little bit. So you put these different tiles down like it's a twister board, uh, and you're like, I want you to to move forward four steps, turn around, and then do a dance. And so they have to put down different uh, instructions on the different squares on the on the mat based on where they want to end up and where they start and what they need to do at each square. And so they have to think through what each step is going to be as they plan that thing out. So we're going to do that at the uh, the K through 3 level, kind of work our way up from that twister That's game towards programming the little robots. Um, I, I, I'm going to get my hands on a makey-makey and, and see what we can do with that, um, trying to, to plan some stuff for first and second grade projects. Uh, it's essentially... Uh, Essentially, you're able to turn anything into a remote or an input device with these different kind of electrodes. So you can make a buds their their advertising pitch. You can turn a banana into an 8-bit NES remote uh, just based on where you put these little buttons input things on. Or you can take a stuffed animal and put a different thing in each paw of the stuffed animal so that it does a different thing each time you touch a different hand or foot of the thing. People use them to create keyboards out of floor tiles. So when you step on a floor tile, it plays a different note. So like big, right? You can do the yeah. big thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be kind of fun to put that outside of the music room in your hallway. So it plays music as students walk down the music hallway. Uh, this is all fascinating. Uh, one of the, like, I, I, I reflect on my own, you know, K through three experience. And uh, my father spent a lot of time priming me to uh, investigate and enjoy playing chess and go. And in both of those games, the idea is, can you make predictions about the future based on the rules and how things interact now? And that's exactly what you're talking about with that little robot, you got a spherical robot, based on how the robot behaves, can you make it do this in the future? And you've got that jumps to conclusions, I want this to be my output, what manipulations do I have to make to make that happen, uh, is fantastic. Uh, yeah, man. So, uh, so thank you. I don't. Uh, we've we've taken up a little over a half hour of your time, and that's kind of been my. Uh, I want to try and not uh, drag this out too far. You clearly, you've been working this whole time, so uh, you clearly have things to be doing. Uh, yeah, he holds up a piece of technology that he's been working on as he talks to us. So, uh, so thank you for being willing to come back and say hello. And it sounds like uh, we hope to see you again at some point in the not too distant future. Thanks for giving me a break from mass rebooting iPads uh, across the school district. 
and the other shoe drops. Yeah. <laughs> Empower each other. This one feels a little weird to me, but I believe in it. Like I think that, uh, I think that being well-rounded monkeys uh, yeah. is valuable to people, and we resist it on every other episode. We, I sure do. So, but it's April, Woodruff. Like it, we are yeah. a year into the show. We it's are. time to show a little bit of the rest so of who we are as things humans. Things about us that are not about teaching. Yeah. You want to go first, or should I? I've got three things slated. Uh, yours are probably better than mine, so I'll, yeah, I'll go first, because my, uh, the, the thing that has been the greatest change for me this year, uh, and it's related to this, all of these changes in my life, because I, you know, I had two daughters, they're, at, uh, coming up on nine months now, uh, they're right at, today is our nine-month, um, anniversary, and between them and the new job, it's just so much is different in my life, that it's really been a struggle to try and find a way to fit who I was before the girls showed up and before I made this job change into who I must be moving forward. And so things like uh, I, athletics is a thing that I like to do. I, I, I still play volleyball. I've referenced even on this show that uh, we did martial arts together for a little while. I don't do that anymore. And so finding a way to prune some of those things back to make space in my life for what's new uh, without losing who I am because that's that was a hard thing for me to figure out. And I'm still kind of trying to navigate that. And so trying to rebuild that balance in my life of what do I do when I'm not an educator because I initially did too much. I tried to do more more things and not enough educator, not enough father. And then I dialed it way, way back. And so then I, I was missing some pieces of me that I really like about myself. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm back to playing volleyball one night a week. And I think that's the appropriate amount. Like I can spare one night to go, um, play some doubles and, um, uh, you know, pretend that I'm still an athletic 20 year old. And I can, I have room in my life for one project if I'm willing to let it take three months. Uh, so I bought a game of Gloomhaven and I've been slowly constructing a cabinet uh, that my, my laser etcher downstairs is broken for the third time since I've been doing this project. And I'm going to slowly try to get it to work again. And so finding a way for all those things to fit together has been a process, but I'm finally starting to slot back in. Uh, you know, I have a project and I've got to boot my laser up again. And volleyball is not something that's gone entirely. And I hope to go back to martial arts even at some point when uh, maybe the girls can come with me. So that's story number one. Story number two. Uh, I am a 37 year old that has largely neglected his cardiovascular health. Uh, and so uh, this May, I started uh, treadmilling again. Uh, very, very low impact. I was doing uh, 20 minutes a day at three miles an hour, which is just a walk. It's nothing. But I incrementally increased that until I started, uh, I was jogging at 5.5 miles an hour for 20 minutes, which was great, except I am a weirdo and I only pick, I only wear boots. I wear boots all the time and I knew that boots weren't going to work on my treadmill. So I was actually, I had been running in socks, I, essentially barefoot. I was running barefoot. And of course, after doing that for so long, uh, my feet hurt at 5.5 miles an hour. I was not sustainable. And so I stopped, but that's not, uh, that's also not sustainable because ignoring your cardiovascular health leads to death. So, uh, that's, that's not sustainable. That is the, in fact, ultimate non-sustainable. 
So uh, I bought some running shoes, and I am hitting the treadmill again. Uh, that is my goal to continue running. And I don't know when I'm going to fit it in during the school year, but I must find a solution. It is not acceptable to not exercise. I must do it. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. That is one year under the belt. We are excited to make new, better mistakes as yeah. we tape season two for everybody. Uh, so remember to engage with us. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your feedback. We want your suggestions. We have been reliably reading all of the pieces that have been referred to us as people have been sending them to us. We, If you recommend it, we will read it at some point. Absolutely. It gets slotted and we want to discuss it. So if you've got a topic you want, you send it to us and it's going to be a high priority for us. So um, if you're just jumping in, subscribe to us. And you'll get the flavor of what's going on um, and feel free to comment, uh, email, or whatever makes you comfortable. We just we want this to be a community. We want this to be more than two voices. Uh, thank you for joining us in kind of a lighthearted reflection on season one. And we will see you for whatever season two may bring in the coming year. Uh, so struggle well and discuss research.